Welcome to This Week in Video Games, episode 92. My name's Tom Kershaw, and this is a podcast all about the world of video games. Well, this week I've been playing Solar Ash, the follow-up to Hyperlight Drifter from Heart Machine. I've also been checking out The Matrix Awakens, the new Unreal Engine 5 playable demo. But the main event today is the Game of the Year 2021, and I'm going to be running down my top 10 games of the year. Well, it's a busy show, so let's get to it. Welcome to the show, everyone. I hope you're well and you're having a good week. Well, it's the final show of the year, and I'm going to be running down my top 10 games of the year. Although this year we have been hit by all kinds of supply chain issues, although I still think we've been really spoilt for games. And I'm going to get into my Game of the Year 2021 list a little bit later on in the show. Well, also, in the last few days, Nintendo have been back with their latest Indie World Showcase, talking about some of the upcoming indie games coming in early 2022 and beyond. And I'll run down a quick roundup of that event. But before we get into that, let's get into what I've been playing this week. Well, this week I've been checking out Solar Ash, a new game from Heart Machine. This one is a fast, fluid action platformer. It's got some great boss battles and it's full of puzzles. And I'll get into that first up in the show. And I've also been checking out The Matrix Awakens. So this is a new Unreal Engine 5 playable demo available for the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series S and X. You know, this is definitely the future of gaming, and it's really, really exciting to actually get this in our hands. So if you've got access to one of the new generation consoles, I would definitely recommend checking it out. It's really, really impressive. And I'll give you my rundown and my impressions of that demo later on in the show. But first up this week, before we get into Game of the Year 2021, let's have a look at another game. And this one is my review of Solar Ash. Well, Solar Ash is all about how you traverse across the environment. You're elegantly skating across the clouds, leaping and jumping as you go. So paired with the fantastic movement mechanics of puzzle sequences and huge boss fights, which reminded me of Shadow of the Colossus. And Solar Ash is from the same development team that brought us Hyperlight Drifter. And while the game doesn't quite live up to the hype of Heart Machine's previous title, so it's a grower, and I think you'll enjoy it the more you play. Well, the world is vivid in colour. You've got pinks, purples and deep reds scatter the landscape as you glide across it. However, there's something not quite right with the world as it's covered in corruption. So Ray, the main protagonist in the game and the being you control throughout, has to rid the world of the corruption and find clues pointing to where the other void runners have gone. So partnering with the corruption of these huge anomalies, giant beasts roaming the broken lands and we have to save the day. Well, Solar Ash is similar in a few ways to Hyperlight Drifter. The colours, they're bright and they pop from the screen, although Solar Ash is played in the 3D space rather than the 2D pixel art of Heart Machine's previous game. You know, a major difference this time is the dialogue and the story, so last time we hardly had anything at all, but in Solar Ash the main characters are voiced, plus you've got plenty of other story and audio logs to find scattered all throughout the place which builds up the world and the characters nicely. Will you play as Ray, a Void Runner who's travelled back inside a black hole called the Ultra Void? And it's up to you to find out what happened to the rest of the Void Runners. Now, as well as finding out what happened to your buddies, you have to restart a piece of technology called the Star Seed, which should hopefully close the black hole and save Ray's planet from certain destruction. And to do this, you have to solve puzzles in various areas 
to defeat the anomalies. Well, the gameplay in Solar Ash is all about action platforming, and it's played from the third-person perspective, and you can run and jump as standard. You've also got the ability to skate around the environment at the press of a button, and that means you instantly gain speed, and you can glide across the surface with ease. And you also have a grappling hook that allows you to connect to targets and traverse across the environments with relative ease. So Ray in motion feels great in the game, and it's similar to what an open world Sonic the Hedgehog could feel like. So at a moment's notice, you can put on your skates, and you get a burst of speed, and that makes travelling distances in the game feel very, very good. And the game is split into three modes, basically. You've got the puzzles and the platforming, when you're trying to figure out how to get to hard-to-reach locations. And then you've got the combat against tough little enemies, and finally, you've got the boss battles which are going to test your skill and timing to the extreme. Well, the platforming and puzzles do offer up a reasonable challenge. You do have a handy compass on your wrist that allows you to scan at any moment and give yourself a reminder on where to go. So even though you have a reminder on where to go, it doesn't mean getting there is going to be easy. So this is going to involve skating, jumping, probably climbing up some black goo until you can get there. Then you've got these small enemies, you know, they may be small, but they do pack a serious punch. You know, they are arachnid-like creatures that scurry towards you very fast, often shooting out projectiles or lasers in your direction. So make sure to repair your shields at your companion each level. I didn't realise I had to do this until the third area, which means I was severely depleted when it came to my energy. That translated into two hits, and I was dead. You know, enemies are diverse, they're tricky, they're full of surprises, so definitely keep your eyes peeled. So the smaller enemies are only really the starter to the anomaly main course. So the main objective to each zone is to unlock the boss battles and use a combination of platforming speed and traversal to defeat the huge beasts. The first one in the training area is nice and simple to get you eased into things. It's only when you face the forgotten thresher in the second area that you understand what the game is all about. So this is where Solar Ash truly shines. I would say if you play the game, play at least until you get to beat the forgotten thresher so I've seen some feedback from other players on Solar Ash saying the game was boring, but personally, I didn't really find this to be the case. So once you unleash the anomalies in the area, you do have to grapple onto them and then start the traversal, and they tend to have three phases, each more difficult than the last when it comes to timing, dashing, and attacking. And it'll probably take you a few goes, but this is a really good example of getting into a flow state in a game. So at first, the controls feel a little bit cumbersome, but after a few tries, you'll definitely get into a rhythm. So I let out an audible yell when I beat the boss, you know, it was that satisfying. Up until that point, I was starting to lag on the game and wondering whether I was going to continue, but I'm really, really glad I did, and I've been chasing that feeling again and again in Solar Ash ever since. So any game that can draw emotions like that is a good one in my book. Well, as well as the excellent boss battles, there's plenty of items to collect as well. So you've got suit upgrades and audio logs, and the suit upgrades include increasing damage or reducing the boost cooldown, and various helpful upgrades that are going to help you out in the latter parts of the game. The audio logs are a nice touch, although the story and lore do feel a little bit confusing and dense, and there's just so much of it. And while I appreciate the work put in, you know, it did feel a little bit too much and I would have loved to see more in the game, rather than a side feature to read through. Well, Solar Ash is a bit of a mixed bag. So on one hand, you've got great feeling, fluid movement, and really exciting boss battles. On the other hand, there's the dense lore and sometimes frustrating movement quirks, which can lead to an early death, if you're not pinpoint in your execution. Now overall, I'm definitely more positive about the game than negative, plus I'm really happy to see Heart Machine put out another game after the wonderful Hyperlight Drifter. So all this quick movement does feel like a trend we're about to see, starting off with Solar Ash, 
Next year, we've got Forspoken, and then also we've got a new Sonic game coming. But if the new Sonic game feels half as good as Solar Ash, I think there's going to be a lot of happy gamers. Well, the game was developed by Heart Machine. It was published by Annapurna Interactive. It's available for PC via the Epic Game Store, the PlayStation 4, and the PlayStation 5. And the game was originally released on the 2nd of December, 2021. Well, that is it for my review of Solar Ash. But next up, we've got something special. So this one is The Matrix Awakens, and this one is the new playable demo for Unreal Engine 5. Well, Epic has teamed up with The Matrix to show off their new Unreal Engine playable demo. So last year we got a showcase of the Unreal Engine 5, with a woman leaping, diving and flying through what looked like a Tomb Raider-like environment. But this time we've got a playable demo, and it perfectly showcases not only the power of Unreal Engine 5, but also what real next-gen games could look and feel like. Well, today I'm going to jump into The Matrix Awakens and give you my first impressions. Well, first up, it's worth saying that everyone with a PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series S and X can experience the demo, so head on over to your store on the platform of your choice, and you can download that playable demo. So it's really worth jumping in, as this is the first time that many of us have had the chance to experience Unreal Engine 5 in our hands. Well, the demo is split into a few distinct parts. You know, you've got the opening cinematic with Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss, who play Neo and Trinity in The Matrix, and they're speaking to the camera. Second up, you've got the car chase sequence. Then finally, we've got a city to explore, which we can either do by walking or flying, or you can get in a car. When the first sequence, it's hard to tell what's being rendered in the engine or what's actual footage, so we've got a couple of versions of Neo, with Keanu Reeves talking about the innovations of the first Matrix movie. You've got Carrie Ann Moss, she then walks in, duplicated into hundreds of similar character models, all walking in sequence. We're then thrown into the car chase sequence with Neo and Trinity in front of the car, and Io in the back, and you play as that character. So she straps on a gun, it's time to start defending your car, shooting out the tyres of oncoming vehicles, so agents they're jumping onto the cars, and trying desperately to get you, so you've got to do your best to shoot out the tyres or blow up the engines with a few well-placed shots. So here you've got some new tech on display, so the character model for Io is created with something called MetaHuman, so Epic released another playable demo with this character creation tool a while back, but seeing it here in action against the other character models of Neo and Trinity is really, really impressive. In terms of the gameplay itself, it's all rather simple. So it's kind of like Virtual Cop, and it reminded me of something that Sega would have put out in the arcades in the 90s, however, with updated state-of-the-art graphics. So you've got the highways, the cars, the characters, and the textures and the lighting are on a whole new level that we just haven't seen before. The whole scene looks like it could have come from a movie, and there is a slight uncanny valley feeling to some of the dialogue moments, but it's really, really impressive nonetheless. So while the shooting sequence may feel like it's on rails, this is actually being rendered in an open world. So the cars flipping, the explosions, and it's all being calculated in real time using Epic's Chaos Physics system. So if you run through the demo multiple times, you're going to get slightly different results in the action, you know, even if the outcome is relatively the same. It's all really, really impressive, and the description here doesn't really do it justice. It's best to see it with your own eyes, if you can. Well, the final part of the demo you might like to hear is much more relaxing. You're just flying or walking around a huge city, where you can drive too. So this part of the demo is rendered using something called Nanite. This is an extreme detail system created by Epic for use with Unreal Engine 5, and it promises infinite levels of detail with no popping. So the objective of the demo here is to show a densely populated open world. 
So you've got hundreds of buildings, pedestrians and cars. Well, Nanite works with another technology called Lumen. So this is Unreal Engine 5's real-time global illumination system. And it takes advantage of the ray tracing capabilities of the new consoles to deliver high quality reflections and light shadows. So Epic also uses something called TSR, and that's Temporal Super Resolution, and that injects data from previous frames into the current one to improve the quality. And that really helps with the performance given this is all very processor intensive. So The Matrix Awakens is perhaps the most impressive demo of Unreal Engine 5 to date. So the fact it's been released as a downloadable demo that we can play yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. I loved the videos of the demo last year, but I just wanted to get my hands on it, and now we can do that with this demo, and it's super, super impressive. So hardly any of the new titles for Xbox Series X and PlayStation 5 have been showcasing the true capabilities of these new consoles. So Demon's Souls on the PlayStation 5 may be the best-looking game I've played in the last 12 months, but this demo is on another level altogether. You know, when you think about what could be created with this technology for true next-generation games, it gets me really, really excited. So what we're seeing at the moment in games is the cross-generation games, whether it be on Xbox or PlayStation, they're transitioning their audience from either the Xbox One to the Series S and X or the PlayStation 4 to the PlayStation 5. So God of War, Ragnarok, Horizon Forbidden West, Elden Ring, Halo Infinite, you know, pick a game that's come out recently. All of these games are made for the cross-generation purpose. They don't want to leave those millions and millions of customers with old consoles behind. But soon, very soon, developers are going to start to release games backed by Unreal Engine 5, and that is going to be the true start of the next generation of gaming. Well, that is my look at The Matrix Awakens and the Unreal Engine 5 demo. I really, really think you should give it a go, so download it right now on the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series S and X. But next up, let's have a look at the all-platform charts. We're 10 this week, it's Animal Crossing New Horizons. That's down three places from last week's number seven. And number nine this week, it's Pokemon Brilliant Diamond, down three places from last week's number six. And number eight this week, it's Just Dance 2022, down three places from last week's number five. And number seven, it's Minecraft, up one place from last week's number eight. So at number six, we've got Grand Theft Auto, the trilogy, the definitive edition. And at number five, we've got Among Us. And number four, we've got Marvel's Spider-Man, Miles Morales, up five places from last week's number nine. So staying in there at number 3, it's Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, and still in at number 2, it's Call of Duty Vanguard. And taking the Christmas number 1, it's FIFA 22, so congrats to the team behind FIFA and everyone at EA for that Christmas number 1. Well, that is it for the all-platform charts, but next up, let's have a look at the latest Nintendo Indie World Showcase. Well, Nintendo managed to sneak in one last update before the end of the year, and they were back in the last couple of weeks with their Indie World Showcase. It's one of my personal favourite showcases they put on, as you always discover some great games coming to Nintendo Switch, and in some cases, some of the best games of the year are finally coming to the platform. Well, today I'm going to run through what was shown, including some really exciting-looking games, including Sea of Stars, Endling, River City Girls 2, Chicory, Grime, and also Amori. So first of all, we've got Sea of Stars, so... This is a new game from the team that brought us The Messenger, so set in the same universe as their previous game. This is a pixel art RPG inspired by the classic Final Fantasy and Chrono Trigger. So this was the standout game for me, plus it features some music by the composer of Chrono Trigger, Yasunoru Mitsuda. 
And this one is set for release in winter 2022. Well, next up, we have Alicia, the oblivion of twin goddesses. So this one is a puzzle cart game about two sisters trying to navigate a temple. And that one is coming in spring 2022. Well, then we've got Loco Motive. So this one is a classic point-and-click adventure. Plus, it's been picked up by Chucklefish. And they always publish quality games. So that made it really stand out. So this one is made by two brothers and is set on the Royce Express. It looks like a detective game with plenty of puzzles and tongue-in-cheek humour too, and that one is set for summer 2022. Well, then we had After Love EP, so this one is by the same developer as Coffee Talk, Mohamed Farmi, and is set in Jakarta. So it's about a young musician, Rama, who's suffering due to a death of a loved one, so it's described as a unique mix of a dating sim, rhythm game, and narrative adventure, and After Love EP is due for release in summer 2022. Well, next up, we had Dungeon Munches. This is a 2D side-scrolling action platformer where you battle and traverse an underground environment. So you've got to fight and explore your way to safety through the undead. And this one is available right now on the Nintendo eShop. Next up, we've got Figment 2 Creed Valley. So this is a sequel to Figment. It's a puzzle adventure game. And most notably, there are two world states, open-minded and closed-minded. There's also two-player local co-op. That launches in February 2022, there's a demo available right now on the Nintendo eShop. Well, next up, we've got Let's Play Oink Games. So this is a collection of board games. So you've got Deep Sea Adventures, Startups, Fake Artists, Go to New York, and also Moon Adventure. But this one is out right now as a Times exclusive on the Nintendo eShop. Next up, we've got Endling Extinction is Forever. This one looks like it's all about nature, with us controlling a mother fox in a crumbling world. So you've got three cubs and you have to hunt on your journey. This one comes out in spring 2022. We got another trailer for Ollie Ollie World, so this one comes from Roll7, and we got new gameplay looking at the skateboarding and platforming, so it does look really, really good, and I am really looking forward to this one coming out, and it's set for release on the 8th of February, 2022. Next up, we had River City Girls 2, and I didn't think I'd be into a game called River City Girls 2, you know, no offence intended for fans of the game, but then I found out it was a retro-inspired scrolling beat-em-up, and looking at the graphics and the gameplay, I might just have to give this one a shot. You know, compared to the first game, there's new moves, levels, enemies, and items, plus there's also local and online co-op play for two players. So River City Girls 2 is due out in summer 2022. Well, next up, we've got a montage of various games, some of which coming out really soon, or out right now, or coming out over the next year. So there's a couple of great titles that caught my eye from 2021, and that includes Chicory, A Colourful Tale, that is out right now. We've got Grime, and also other notable entries are Parkasaurus, and also Don't Starve Together. But finally, the one more thing, that was Amori. So this is a weird and wonderful turn-based RPG. So this one looks like it has a similar feel to Earthbound, but it also covers some pretty tough topics, including depression, anxiety, and suicide. So it got plenty of praise when it first came out, and it's coming to Nintendo Switch in spring 2022. Well, that is it for my recap of the Nintendo Indie World Showcase from December 2021. But next up, it's the big one. Let's get into my Game of the Year 2021. Well, 2021 is coming to a close, so it's a good time to reflect on some of the best games of the year. You know, I've really, really enjoyed this year in games. We've had plenty of delays, some big games moving to 2022 due to COVID and other things too. But 2021 has been full of great games, and today I'm going to run down some of the best. So without further delay, let's jump into my top 10 games of the year for 2021. Well, number 10 is Monster Hunter Rise, and it's the first Monster Hunter properly developed for Nintendo Switch. 
and it was the game I played the most on Nintendo Switch this year. So it's the latest addition to the Monster Hunter family and exploded in popularity since the release of Monster Hunter World back in 2018. So Monster Hunter fans would protest, saying this was a hugely popular franchise long before World and Iceborne were even thought of, but Monster Hunter World you know, really took this thing to a whole new level. So going back to Monster Hunter Rise, there's loads of monsters to fight. You've got 14 weapons to learn, then you've got the Palamutes, that's a new addition, and you've got the village to save. So there's potential in here for many, many hours to be lost in hunts. So one big drawback of the game is for new players and their ability to get into the game. There's so many systems, there's characters, terminology to learn, and it all can be a little overwhelming. And the monster battles, they're not a walk in the park either, and sometimes you're going to be banging your head against a brick wall trying to defeat a monster for 50 minutes, only to fall on your final life and have to do it all over again. Well, Monster Hunter Rise does a really, really good job of adding plenty of quality of life updates, and although the game isn't quite as stunning as Monster Hunter World, it's still really, really good looking. Yeah, the package of improvements here in Rise can't be understated in terms of how much they affect the gameplay, the speed being the main impact. So getting into and out of battle, using the fantastic new wire bug to jump in there, and then the mounts on the monsters and use them as weapons, it all adds up to a really, really fun experience. Yeah, there's still hurdles to overcome for newcomers like understanding the nuance of the weapons, learning about armour and crafting, plus overcoming the difficulty of the hunts themselves. So Capcom appears to have lowered the barriers to entry earlier in the game to get you into the action, then there's still enough detail to keep you around, then hook you when you want to come back for more. So looking back at 2021, Monster Hunter Rise, it was definitely my most played game in terms of hours on Nintendo Switch. I'm really looking forward to that expansion in 2022. Well, next up at number nine, I've got Inscription. So this one you know, is full of surprises and it keeps getting weirder as you play. Now the heart of the game is a card game with animals on them and each animal has points, defense and other attributes and it's your job to inflict enough damage on your opponent before they do the same to you. So lose more than twice and then you're going to get strangled. The card game itself is fairly simple, but it's also really tactical. You have a couple of cards in your hand when you start, and you have to place them down at the cost of blood or bones. So to place down better cards, you'll likely have to sacrifice weaker cards, but this cost brings greater attacking benefits, and ultimately you're going to want to inflict enough damage on your opponent. So for each attack damage point, a small weight will be placed on the scales, and it's your job to tip the scales entirely in your favour and take down your opponent. Inscription is a surprising game with twists and turns not only in the plot, but also in the gameplay and the mechanics as well. So things start out really simple like a creepy card game, but buckle up as things are about to get super, super strange. Now, it's one of a number of standout indie hits of 2021. It's definitely something you should seek out to play before the end of the year. And I've got a feeling this one is going to be on a few games of the year list. So it's one of a number of standout indie hits of 2021. Well, at number 8, it's Forza Horizon 5. So I dabbled in 4, but 5 really blew me away this year and further cemented the value of Xbox Game Pass. So if you're new to the Forza Horizon series, then you've got plenty of game modes to get your teeth into. You know, Forza Horizon has so much content, maybe too much content, but a good place to start is that festival playlist. So here you're going to create a character, you're going to collect your cars, explore the map, take on different races and challenges, plus you've got the great co-op trial. There's seasonal championships and weekly challenges too, that keep you coming back time after time. So each week a different car is in focus, plus you've got the more casual challenges and other online features as well. This game looks absolutely fantastic and Mexico also makes for a great setting. The map is really large, you've got varied biomes, so the weather can change throughout the seasons as in previous iterations of the Forza Horizon games, you know, making for hazardous driving conditions. There's some really bombastic stuff going on here as your car gets dropped into a volcano, 
followed by a massive ramp jump. It's all pretty spectacular stuff. So Forza Horizon 5 is one of the most accomplished and entertaining driving games I've ever played. So this is the open world racing game that you could quite easily sink hundreds of hours into. And you could easily play this game until the end of the year and not get bored of it. So the graphics and the performance, they're fantastic. And the pumping music combined with the pace of the racing keeps your heart pumping throughout the play sessions. So it's not the massive leap forward that a Forza Horizon 4 was, but it's probably the best racing game out there right now. Plus, it's on Xbox Game Pass, so really, there's no excuses not to play. At 7, we've got Psychonauts 2. So I didn't really play the first one, but it was easy to jump right into number 2. So we pick up a day after the story of the Rhombus of Ruin, with Rasputin and Quato arriving at the Motherlobe, you know, the headquarters of the special spy organisation known as the Psychonauts. Well, Raz thinks he's made it, only to find out he's a simple intern. But given his new title, he's got a whole lot more to learn before he becomes a fully-fledged Psychonaut. He's got to start at the bottom in the mailroom, but things, they quickly escalate as you jump from environment to environment, whether you're inside someone's head or outside the mother lobe exploring the wooded areas nearby. So the highlight for me is where you dive into people's brains and personalities, and this is where the environment design, the writing, and the gameplay mechanics really shine and allow Double Fine to flex its game developer skills. You don't go diving into every brain of everyone that you meet, only the major characters seem to be especially troubled, and early on, this means a few of the Psychonauts themselves. So these environments reflect the personalities of the characters. For example, the first mine we jump into is that of a dentist, and therefore the world is filled with teeth, gums, and other areas. You have to be wary of the level, though, because if you're scared of going to the dentist, it really isn't going to make you feel any better about the experience. But the levels are creative, and the platforming really, really comes alive. Now, Psychonauts 2 is an excellent demonstration of writing, gameplay, and level design. It all comes together really, really well in that package. So this is a perfect example of what Microsoft has bought in Double Fine, a company that delivers a very high standard of video game that helps bolster the library for Xbox Game Pass. Now, I was really surprised at the game. I went in with fairly low expectations, but was blown away at every turn. So given it's on Game Pass, I'm sure that many of you have access to it, so I would go out of your way to play the sequel to Psychonauts, even if you haven't played the original. Well, at number six, it's Before Your Eyes, so this is a game that really got me this year, tugging away on my heartstrings, and Before Your Eyes is a narrative adventure with a difference, and instead of using a mouse or a controller, you blink to control the game. And the mechanic is more than just a novelty in this powerful narrative that's going to take you on a roller coaster of emotions, and much of the game is a lean-back star and watch the narrative play out. However, when you blink, time jumps forward, so maybe it's going to be a day or a week or even years forward. Well, the game does require a webcam to be set up to register the blinks, but this is easy to do and works surprisingly well. If playing with a webcam doesn't sound like it's for you, then there's good news because it can be played with traditional input methods like a mouse and a keyboard. Now, Before Your Eyes is a really, really well put together game that innovates in its controls and tells a very touching and personal story throughout the narrative. It's not too long as well. It's also a very memorable gaming experience, and it's a unique little gem that's definitely worth checking out. Well, number five, it's Death's Door. So this one is an isometric Zelda-like. And it's got elements of the Souls genre, plus there's plenty of secrets to discover. So it came out of the blocks at a furious pace. It's definitely something you should check out on PC or Xbox, although it has also come out on Nintendo Switch and also PlayStation 2. So you play as a small crow in Death's Door, working for the Reaper Commission by harvesting the souls of the living. Well, unfortunately, you've been sent on a task to collect a particular soul, and then it's been stolen from you. So you are led into the Undying Realm on a hunt to retrieve the stolen soul and reach the Death's Door. To unlock the famous Death's Door, you're going to need three powerful souls 
and therein starts the adventure. The boss fights in Death Door are a lot of fun and often play with the scale of our tiny crow. For example, in the first hour or so you're going to face up against a massive boss protecting one end of the puzzle area. And attacks are fairly slow and methodical at first. You have to run in there and get a timely thwack in before retreating quickly to jump out of the way of impending attacks from that giant. Lasers then stream from the huge beast's eyes. You simply have to run out of the way from its death stare. And as you progress through the game, the bosses get harder and incrementally more inventive than the last. So it's not quite Dark Souls, but it's also not a walk in the park either. Well, Death Store is a great package. The controls are tight, the gameplay is fun and varied, plus the game looks and sounds great too. And the puzzles work very well and strike a good balance of difficulty. And the only real drawback of the game is the incentive to go back and play it again due to the lack and the variety of the loot. So otherwise, this is something you should definitely play, and this one is going to be perfect on Nintendo Switch. Well, we're getting to the business end of the list now, so next up is number four, and this one is Returnal. So there's a decent mix of genres in Returnal. One minute you're going to be exploring and platforming, and the next minute you're in a bullet hell-style battle with enemy tentacles thrashing about and threatening instant death. You've got the infinite loop of the roguelike genre, which many more are going to be familiar with since Hades broke through in 2020. Well, Returnal has layers... You have to dig pretty deep and work hard with your skill and timing to find out everything that this game has to offer. So Returnal is roguelite by design, as when you die you're sent back to the very start of the game and the world reconfigures itself in front of you. You get to keep a few select items when you die, but on the main you lose everything and start from scratch, and it's not for the faint-hearted for sure, as well as the roguelite mechanics. It's also a metroidvania where you have to explore a map and find power-ups after defeating a boss, and they help you get to a new area. So there's a little bit more than a dash of Metroid in here, as well as the genre description, with a female protagonist inside a spacesuit wielding an array of weapons, so it's almost what you would have got from From Software if they got hold of the Metroid IP, which is also meant as a massive compliment to House Marquee. So Returnal is probably its most challenging during the combat sequences. It's really hard to pin down, it feels new, but it's also a combination of bullet hell and third-person shooter. Celine has rapid movement, it feels really good to run, jump and dash, and you're also going to need all these skills plus precision reflexes to last more than a few minutes in the game in the world of Returnal. So together with Celine's skills, there's an array of weapons from sidearms to alien weapons like carbines, shotguns, and much more. So it all can be fired by aiming with the left trigger and firing with the right, but the adaptive triggers come into play with an alternate firing mode by partially holding down the left trigger. It can be a little bit tricky at first, but it becomes second nature quite quickly, and the array of guns are really, really impressive, as are the secondary fire modes that often fire off projectiles, lightning, or miniature bombs that kill whatever monster with huge tentacles happens to be in your way at the time. So Returnal is an endurance test of a video game, so in the early hours, you're in discovery mode, you're learning about the planets, the monsters, and the attack patterns, and staring in wonder at most things in the game. So as time goes on, the game becomes more and more punishing, and it will take a particular type of player to want to jump back in again and again. So if you like this style of game, I would fully recommend Returnal. So it's a truly next-generation game, and it shows off the wide array of what the PS5 can do. Well, that was number four. Next up, we've got number three, and this one is It Takes Two. And this one was the Game Awards Game of the Year, but it's my number three. This one is a co-op game where you play as the soon-to-be-divorced pairing of Cody and May, and much like the plot of an 80s Disney movie, they've been turned into toys, and have to reach their daughter to figure out how to turn back into humans. There's so many good ideas in here, and they come at you thick and fast. So one minute you're going to be chasing around spark plugs with legs and fighting a giant hoover, and next up you're going to be fighting a squirrel dressed up like a queen bee. 
So the game manages to switch between gameplay styles from platformer, puzzler, sometimes beat-em-up and dungeon crawler. And it's all really seamless with confidence and ease, so the different gameplay styles don't feel crowbarred in. And it's all very aware of making the player's time even more entertaining. So the core gameplay mechanics feel great. Cody and May have got the basics. They jump, they double jump, they dash and they duck. They're really responsive and the movements are funny in themselves. For example, if you hold down the left stick and run fast, somehow even that is funny too. So as well as the basics, the characters have the abilities that change from level to level. So Cody and May's abilities complement one another, often working in tandem so you can navigate the environments or battle the enemies. And the game eases you in with a simple tutorial and then slowly ramps up the difficulty. So It Takes Two is an ambitious co-op puzzle platformer. It's really well executed and it makes you sit up and take notice regarding what Hazelight Studios are doing. So here they have crafted a wonderful game in terms of gameplay, constantly changing and evolving the mechanics without it feeling forced or complicated. It's also a touching story, a highly memorable game. If you haven't played it, then you really, really should. I'd recommend playing it with a loved one, be that a partner, a kid or a parent. It's a great experience that you can look back on together. Well, next up, I've got my penultimate game of the year for 2021, and it's Halo Infinite number two. So both the multiplayer and campaign are really, really good fun. So one of the best surprises of the year was that earlier release of the multiplayer mode after the successful flight test. So since then, there has been a backlash due to the lack of multiplayer. However, 343 are working hard to push new modes out, like they have done in the last couple of weeks. So Halo Infinite's campaign, it does manage to navigate the legacy of great Halo games while pushing the series forward, introducing the open world. And it's got a strong opening third. It's a little bit stodgy in the middle, and it builds up to a great finish. And 343 did have to make a few trade-offs with the introduction of the open world, and that includes a less tailored classic campaign moment. Plus, unfortunately, co-op isn't there at the start. However, it is balanced out by the sheer amount of freedom that Halo Infinite offers. Yeah, it's a solid entry to the series, although I don't think I'd put it right at the top. You know, Halo Infinite does well with offering you a sense of freedom in your gameplay. That has been lacking since the Bungie era of Halo games. You know, given the open nature of the Zeta Halo, that is the ring that you're on, you've got much less scripted corridor battles, and they are replaced with the skirmishes out there in the wild. You know, One aspect of Halo Infinite I've really enjoyed when compared to something like Destiny 2, rather than having a single loadout of guns and keeping on using them, I do like the need to finish up enemies and pick up their weapons to use against other enemies. You know, I use the full array of enemies in the game, I don't really get too attached to my shotgun or my BI, I just pick up what I need. So it was always going to be tricky for 343 to create a winner with Halo Infinite. The game was delayed by a year, missed the Xbox Series X launch, although they all shipped with Halo Infinite branded boxes. And that just demonstrates to you how close of a decision it was. And I really think it was a good decision because now we've got a polished Halo Infinite, it's high quality, and it is unfortunate the carp is missing from the launch lineup, and apparently we're not going to be seeing that until next May at the earliest, but when you put the two parts together, so the campaign and the multiplayer, Halo Infinite offers up a great package and speaks to the hardcore Halo fans, as well as invites a whole new audience to its free-to-play multiplayer mode. And I think finally, 343 have a Halo game they can be proud of. Well, finally today, it's my number one, and this one is Metroid Dread. So yes, my number one game of the year is Metroid Dread, and it is a direct sequel to Metroid Fusion, the fifth Metroid game part of the 2D series. So this one is a massive surprise at E3 2021, they announced the new Metroid game and then it released only a few months later in October 2021. So this is Nintendo at their very, very best, adding the AAA gloss onto a tried and tested Metroidvania formula and it all adds up to a very enjoyable game. 
So it is a 2D game, but there are 3D cutscenes, and Samus just looks and acts so damn cool, you know, it's hard not to be impressed at every turn. The detail of the environment, Samus's animations, the movement speed, and the variety of weapons, abilities, and enemies to battle, plus the hard-as-nails bosses, you know, sometimes it feels very un-Nintendo, but I'm really, really glad that they put it out. Well, the setting for the game is Planet ZDR, so Samus has been sent to the planet to investigate the return of a familiar species in the X-Parasite. However, it quickly transpires, she's been led into a trap, and Samus is trapped way below the surface, and your objective is to make your way back to your ship. And one of the biggest features of the game are the Emmy robots. So Emmys are sectioned off into their own zones of the map, and there's seven of them dotted all throughout the game, and each one gets harder and harder as you progress. Now, the only way to kill an Emmy is to blast it in the face with an Omega Cannon, a power you receive from defeating a miniboss. But first, you've got to melt off the outer plating, and once that's gone, a quick blast to the face, and then the Emmys are dead. So this is much easier said than done, and some of them are particularly difficult, but saying that, these are some of my favourite boss encounters of 2021 and in Metroid Dread, especially when you use that cloaking device, you know. So the Emmys come really, really close like a stalking killer predator. You have to hold your breath, wait it out, and hoping your cloaking device doesn't fail you at the wrong moment. So Samus' movement speed is something to behold in this game, and perhaps takes inspiration from other games in the genre like Ori and Hollow Knight. They're great examples of faster fluid movement. So that's where legacy Metroid games fall down a little bit for me, compared to the speed of today's game, but here, in Dread, Samus almost glides across the screen with pure speed. She's also got a very satisfying slide move, which you need to get the hang of and get away from those Emmys. You know, overall, Metroid Dread has delivered on the promise of what a 2D Metroid could be. This is by far the best outing for Samus in 20 years, and in my books come close to what Nintendo has achieved with Super Metroid. So I really thoroughly enjoyed my playthrough, but for it to be an all-time classic, it probably requires another couple of playthroughs, but for now... This is a hugely satisfying gaming experience, with Nintendo taking inspiration from the Metroidvania market and then going above and beyond. And there was loads of speculation before the game came out, you know, would Nintendo be able to do it? Would they be able to bring back Metroid and it live up to the hype? You know, my expectations have been met and then exceeded, and if you've got a Nintendo Switch, you should definitely be playing this game. Well, that is it. Metroid Dread is my number one game of the year, and that is it for Game of the Year 2021. So I'd love to know what you think, and I'd love to know your Game of the Year lists. Let me know down in the comments, or let me know through patreon.com forward slash This Week in Video Games. Get in touch with the show, and I'd love to read out your comment on the next podcast. Well, that is it for this week's episode, and also the final podcast of the year in 2021. So it's been a really, really good year, so I'd like to thank you personally, every one of you, for listening this year. It's been an absolute pleasure creating these shows, and I hope you enjoy This Week in Video Games. It's an absolute pleasure to create this content for you. Well, if you want to get involved in the future, then get in contact with the show through patreon.com forward slash This Week in Video Games or check out the latest on the website. So send in your questions, your comments, and your video game stories, and I'm always interested in hearing from you. So as always, thank you so much for watching or for listening, and for more This Week in Video Games content like this, like, subscribe on YouTube, and share with a friend. To join our community, check out the Discord link in the description, and you can follow me on Twitter at TWIVGpodcast. If you enjoyed this podcast or found it useful, liking and sharing it would really help me out. Otherwise, check out the other podcasts in the feed. Well, thanks again. I'll see you soon.